Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. For seven weeks in 1993, Frankston was in lockdown as police hunted a serial killer who would continue to kill until he was caught. Homicide investigator Charlie Bassina was in charge of the first case and was there to the end when Paul Charles Denyer was caught and confessed. Join me, John Sylvester, with Charlie on November 5 for the inside story. A Black Salmon event. Join Sly and Charlie in the hunt for the Frankston serial killer at the St Kilda Town Hall on November the 5th. Tickets at Eventbrite. Uh, Hello, and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. Today I'm talking about my opinions and my thoughts about true crime podcasts. I've got no inside knowledge or information to base any of my opinions on other than what I've read, heard and listened to, like most of you. There's been a lot of publicity lately and discussions about podcasts and the role they've played in some explosive true crime cases, even a breakthrough, we could uh, call one of them. The two which I'll discuss in more detail today are the Australian podcasts, Trace and The Teacher's Pet. The third one is the release of Anan Sayed, I think you say, um, in the States, the subject of the serial podcast. More than two decades ago, a jury found Anan Sayed, then 18, guilty of murdering a young teenager and he was sentenced to a life in prison. Fourteen years into his sentence, the podcast serial revealed a potential alibi witness and identified issues with some of the evidence presented at his trial. Sayed has been released pending further investigations into how his case was run and the possibility that evidence which was known wasn't made available to all parties. They're not saying that Saeed is innocent, but there may have been a miscarriage of justice and he may very well be tried again. But it's the podcast that cast a light on those possible miscarriages. 
The Teacher's Pet podcast centred around the suspicious disappearance of Lynn Dawson in early January 1982. Uh, Lynn was a devoted 33-year-old mother of two children and married to her childhood sweetheart, who was a well-known popular professional rugby player. Um, I don't know if uh, rugby or rugby league, and I don't know the difference, um, and apologies to those diehard fans of rugby, um, but he happened to have an infatuation and groomed a young girl at the school that he taught at. Two days after Lynn went missing, her husband organised for that young schoolgirl to move into their home under Lynn's roof and more than likely sleeping in Lynn's bed. That is not the normal behaviour of a man grieving and worried sick about his missing wife. Lynn's husband took six weeks to report her missing and he told everyone who'd listened that she'd left due to uh, having some marital problems and that she'd joined a religious organisation. Only one real suspect was ever identified, and uh, which was the husband, but police were lacking evidence. They had no body, no witnesses and no admissions. Then we come to Maria James. She was stabbed 68 times in a murder which became the subject of a podcast by ABC journalist Rachel Brown called Trace. A book's also been released and maybe even a TV series, I'm not sure. Rachel Brown's podcast became a series and it dissected the crime detailing at least six suspects, two of them who were local parish priests. Maria James had intended to confront one of the priests, Father Bongiorno, about his alleged abuse of her then 11-year-old son, Adam, whose vulnerabilities with cerebral palsy and Tourette syndrome was there for everyone to see, including Father Bongiorno. Maria was killed, uh, murdered, the very morning she was going to confront Father Bongiorno. Rachel's enthusiasm for the information that she was uncovering through the podcast and the many leads and emails that she was receiving, it wasn't met with the same enthusiasm within some police circles due to rumours of a Catholic mafia within Victoria Police in the 80s, allegedly covering up crimes committed by priests. And I stress here that there's no proof of this within um, with the Maria James case, just lots of rumours and innuendos. When the podcast eventually got some limited interest or traction within police circles many years later, it was discovered exhibits had been lost, destroyed or contaminated with other exhibits, making them useless for any evidentiary purpose. The podcasts Trace and the Teacher's Pet created an interest like I've never experienced before and everyone was talking about them, particularly the teacher's pet, which had, it was something like 30 million listens. I can't quite quote the number, but I know it was at least that, or maybe it was downloads, but it was a huge number. And it did cross my mind a few times that if ever anybody was ever charged, how could they receive a fair trial? But then how long do we wait until it's reasonable to delve a little further into a case and create some momentum, maybe reignite people's interest, maybe unearth some information which someone hadn't thought relevant all those years ago? Until the Teacher's Pet podcast was released, the case of Lynn Dawson had remained unsolved. I'd think 40 years is a pretty reasonable time to wait. Uh, the case had been reviewed numerous times and no charges were laid. 
two coronial inquests found that she'd been murdered and actually named her husband as that person of interest, but still no person was charged due to what was described by the New South Wales DPP as a lack of evidence. I find it hard to hear criticism of the fact a podcast had unearthed a wave of enthusiasm and discussion, uh, which others hadn't been able to do. There was such a wave of enthusiasm, a wave of interest in a case which had clearly gone cold and uh, which had been surrounded in mystery and rumour, and it seemed to have been put to bed. The podcast opened up the floodgates in a way where others hadn't succeeded. But the Teacher's Pet podcast did cause serious legal difficulties. I thought I might read part of a statement issued by a judge who heard one of many applications by the defence to have the trial permanently stopped, as they argued it would be impossible to get a fair trial with an uninfected jury. In rejecting one of the applications, Justice Elizabeth Fullerton said, quote, I'm in no doubt that the adverse publicity in this case, or more accurately, the unrestrained and uncensored public commentary about the applicant's guilt is the most egregious example of media interference with a criminal trial process which this court has had to consider in deciding whether to take the extraordinary step of permanently staying a criminal prosecution, close quotes. I actually had to look up what the word egregious uh, meant, and it means something shockingly, remarkably, or extraordinarily bad. It's only an opinion, but This is only the start of this type of argument in court and as a community, including the legal community, that we need to work through and work out how to manage it and how to deal with it because it is not going away. In all of this, though, the presumption of innocence must never, ever be forgotten. But we need to address how the court system manages the issue of all of the information out in the public domain now and how we can perhaps protect potential jurors from being influenced by that plethora and tsunami of information, much of which is prejudicial, no doubt. Anyone, any amateur can begin a podcast and with that comes inherent dangers for anyone's fairness to the presumption of innocence. At this point in time, judges can make decisions about a trial uh, should they be concerned at the amount of publicity and fairness to the accused. They can delay a trial. They can have a trial heard without a jury, just a judge hearing it. So, They may have to look at other avenues as well, but they do seem to be fighting a losing battle for their system to remain unchanged. Nobody could seem to crack the teacher's pet case. Nobody until a journalist got a bit of a bee in his bonnet, let's say, and he smelled a rat. However, I do agree that the journalist, Hedley Thomas, seemed to be concentrating on the one suspect, but Hedley isn't a lawmaker and he can concentrate on who he likes, within reason, of course. Lawmakers, and I'm speaking probably here more about police, need to keep their minds open and consider all possibilities and all persons uh, and be seen to be fair in their investigation. But Hedley is not a lawmaker. He is, however, a journalist, and um, I would imagine 
that he, with every other journalist, would have a code of conduct or a code of ethics. But I'm not across what those codes are and what they contain. As police, we're trained in the importance of identifying bias, uh, recognising it and not letting bias affect our investigation. And as I keep saying, journalists are not police, but they do have a power to influence, which I think they need to continually assess with their reporting. In Melbourne, and I don't know, uh, I don't think any other city in Australia would be much different, there used to be two newspapers which reported local and international news. Uh, That was called The Age and The Herald Sun. Maybe we had four TV stations and the same amount of radio stations. Technology has changed the way that news is reported now, and we're all news hounds in a way, all of us or most of us, we have a mobile phone. So news is... Uh, almost or almost it actually is instant and available on too many platforms to mention. But it's not just news now that's being circulated around the world. It's all sorts of information, all sorts of entertainment. Technology is becoming more user-friendly than ever, I imagine, anticipated. With, With a mobile phone, we are all a walking newspaper. Not everything on social media is of interest to everyone, but there's also a lot that we are interested in and true crime happens to be one of those interests. We now have a plethora of TV stations, radio programs, podcasts, Netflix, for instance, to feed our what seems insatiable appetite for news and entertainment. As time goes on, I suggest more and more podcasts will bring attention to possible issues during or subsequent to other investigations than those I'm highlighting here. The legal fraternity need to accept and move with change like all of us. For instance, DNA, that's changed the way crime scenes are examined and searched how evidence is collected and stored. We've got CCTV footage now that has become an integral part of any investigation. We've had to move with the progress of technology and podcasts will change the way people hear and learn about crime. True crime has become a phenomenon, uh, I suppose you could say. It seems people can't get enough of it. And I've got to admit it sits uncomfortably with me about podcasts being entertainment, but I suppose it is what it is and I can't shy away from that. It sits uncomfortably with me because there are the victims, witnesses and those affected by the crime that we can never forget and I don't like the thought that I could be re-traumatising them because I'm talking about a crime in which they've somehow been involved or impacted by the huge ripple effect that crime has on our world. So are podcasts entertainment? Well, I'd have to say yes, but in Lynn Dawson's case, for instance, the subject of the podcast, The Teacher's Pet, it reignited certainly the public's interest in what was a crime, which had been gathering dust and I assume laying dormant with no person charged for nearly 40 years. So whether it's entertainment or not, I don't think we can ignore the fact that a podcast has helped in some 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Way. In, in fact, some would argue because of the podcast that the case was re- reopened and a man charged. That's pretty significant. Interestingly, Rachel Brown, uh, I read somewhere, feels uncomfortable and doesn't agree with the notion that true crime podcasts are entertainment. She says it's about trying to find answers for Maria's family, particularly her two sons who are now well and truly adults. I feel the same about being uncomfortable with the word entertainment. However, the Oxford Dictionary describes the word entertainment as, quote, the action of providing or being provided with amusement or enjoyment. I couldn't agree that true crime is um, amusing or enjoyable, but I wonder if it could also mean interesting because that word doesn't seem as offensive to those whose lives have been affected by crime or any crime. Um, Another site defines entertainment, as and I like this one, as an activity designed to give pleasure, enjoyment, diversion, amusement or relaxation to an audience. And I think I feel more comfortable with that description. If a podcast can create interest and get people talking, that's how we find answers. That's how we find leads. So I'd have to begrudgingly admit that I do think podcasts are a form of entertainment. I can't imagine how relieved Lynn Dawson's family and friends are at the guilty verdict passed down earlier this month, and at least they can go to bed now knowing that justice has been done. Lynn's death hasn't been for no reason. Somebody has been held accountable for it, and I can't imagine the relief, the peace even, at finally knowing the truth rather than wondering, hoping or praying and not knowing I'm assuming with no person charged that there was 
always that faint hope that she was still alive, albeit very faint. But families of those missing live with that sense of hope all the time. All we can hope for now is that Lynn's remains can be found and she's laid to rest somewhere in peace with her family and friends able to grieve and know her death wasn't in vain. How could the publicity generated by the podcast not be a good thing? And that's the part that I struggle with. Yes, it might be considered sensationalising a crime, and podcasts might also produce or uncover information which couldn't be accepted in a court of law. But a murder has been solved through information gleaned through the podcast, The Teacher's Pet, and that's really difficult to ignore. I understand that a podcast can uncover some incredibly interesting, even salacious information, but there's a huge difference with interesting, even salacious information and what is actually evidence and can be included in a brief of evidence prepared by police who understand and have to work within the confines of what is legally admissible, which a journalist doesn't. What podcasting can do is create momentum about a matter in a public way and with that momentum can come discussions around a dinner table at work, around the water cooler, on social media, at a barbecue, anywhere where people gather. One of the things I learned when working on cold cases was that time changes many things. Time can change relationships, allegiances, friendship groups. Uh, Some people find religion. Some feel a need to shed concerns that they may never have shared, secrets they promised never to reveal. If a podcast happens to flick a switch with someone who can provide helpful information on a case which has gone cold and be the piece of that jigsaw which has been missing, I can't see how a podcast can be held responsible. What podcasts do or can do is create conversations and I suppose it's up to the lawmakers and the courts to determine the importance and legalities of that information and whether or not it can be used as evidence. Surely it's better to have the information than not. You know, public pressure is a really powerful tool and public pressure is how laws get changed or at least reviewed. It's how roads get fixed. It's how products are reviewed and sometimes recalled. It's how our hospital system is reviewed. We have royal commissions. It's an important part of us being a part of society. But it isn't only podcasts which are shining a light on true crime. Because it's movies, documentaries, plays, musicals, TV shows and series like I mentioned before on Netflix, for instance, or Stan, all which are promoted heavily, especially on social media. The media do some great work in exposing stories which would otherwise not be told. But the media, I think, can sometimes lose all perspective or lose some perspective and go way beyond what is acceptable behaviour. I hear harrowing stories of the media intruding into people's privacy, harassing people for photographs, um, clearly distressed people. Um, They want vision. They all want something that other media outlets may not have. And I understand why they're often criticised. And I think that criticism is warranted when they exploit a grieving person's vulnerability. So let's get back to podcasting and its role in true crime. Podcasters aren't bound by the rules of evidence, which can stop or thwart evidence 
that the general public may believe is pertinent for being given in a court of law. There's limits as to what information can be given or produced in a court of law, and these limits are what we call the rules of evidence. So at the academy, for instance, we learned that the rules of evidence are like a gate. The information must pass through that gate before it is formally admitted as evidence, and once admitted, it can be used by the court. If it doesn't pass through that gate, it can't be used as evidence in court. In every trial or court case I've ever been involved in, there's arguments all the time about what can be admitted and what can't, because with most rules, there are or can be exceptions. It can get fairly tricky because there's all types of evidence that people think a jury should know, but it's been proved time and time again that if a jury hear evidence which they shouldn't, it could cloud their judgment. For instance, if a jury knew that a person standing for trial for murder had previously spent time in jail for a similar murder, our judgment could or most likely would be clouded by that information. It may not seem fair at times, and our system is far from perfect, but there's very good reasons why certain evidence isn't permitted. A podcast can discuss matters which couldn't be accepted in a court of law and we can repeat conversations which also wouldn't be acceptable in a court of law due to what is called hearsay evidence. Now, hearsay evidence, it isn't accepted in a court because it isn't delivered on oath. The person who said the words can't be cross-examined or tested and the speaker's demeanour can't be observed. We make a lot of decisions by watching somebody watching how they act, how they talk, their behaviour. And hearsay evidence doesn't allow that because the person who said the words isn't on the stand giving the evidence. Again, in so many rules of evidence, hearsay evidence can be argued over days in a courtroom. But the test to ascertain if something is hearsay or not is generally decided, well, it is decided using three questions. One, is it an out-of-court statement, meaning has it been made outside the witness box? Two, was it made by a person other than the person giving evidence? Three, is the statement made to prove the truth of that statement? So if the object of the evidence is to prove the truth of the statement, it's hearsay and therefore inadmissible. When the object of the evidence is simply to prove that the statement was made, it isn't hearsay and it is admissible. Generally, if the evidence is given to establish a particular state of mind, it won't be hearsay and therefore admissible. So let's say that someone wants to give evidence that I had a conversation with them somewhere. So if all they're trying to prove is that I spoke to them, that's acceptable. But if they want to prove something is true that I said in that conversation, that's hearsay and isn't acceptable. Is that clear as mud? Please feel free to replay what I ex just explained to get your head around it because out at the academy I know, well, not just the academy, over years of wondering whether something is hearsay, oh, God, it's been, uh, yeah, it's a nightmare for many of us. Um, a podcast it can have a huge reach, much more than a couple of detectives working on a case can reach. So that's an advantage. However, 
It can also provide information which hasn't been tested anywhere. And the danger is obviously the influence that it could uh, have on possibly a, a juror, a witness or victim. So once you hear or see anything, it's very difficult to not hear or see it. And this is where there's a problem with podcasts. I do think it's important to provide a balanced and fair account if you are gathering information and reporting on a particular matter and if you have a certain bias to admit that from the beginning. In saying that, people don't think, accept or understand they're biased. But deep down, most of us know, I think, in our heart of hearts, if we have a certain opinion about something where we can't see or accept another point of view, that's bias. With the popularity of podcasts, why can't a judge in a jury trial, for instance, include a warning to jurors about listening to podcasts and determine if they have, um, and if they have, what they've heard, and could it influence their decision making, just like they warn jurors about reading papers or the mountain of information on social media? They may be doing this already, I don't know, but if not, they need to consider it urgently. Jurors are asked all sorts of questions on their beliefs and knowledge of certain matters prior to being accepted. And the law needs to deal with this issue because podcasts are not going to go away. You could say the same thing about talking to a neighbour, a friend or listening on a podcast. You assume the information is fact-checked. But there's no way that you can know if a podcaster is fact-checked, just like your neighbour telling you. It's the problem with social media, TV news, etc. It's the person who owns or manages the organisation's responsibility to make sure the information provided is fact-checked. You rarely fact-checked something yourself. With every crime committed, there are also those affected and the ripple effect can flow to hundreds, sometimes thousands, depending on the crime. I will always endeavour to do my best in respecting those affected and do everything I can not to re-traumatise them and to cover with respect, courtesy and sensitivity their loved one's situation. I'd hate to think that I was the reason a trial was aborted because of information that I'd provided. It's always in the back of my mind and I think other podcasters need to be very, very mindful of it because I know the enormous amount of time and work that goes into getting a matter to court. I'm always learning how to better present a story with care, compassion and understanding of the trauma that it can create and always welcome your feedback and thoughts the world according to Narelle. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great week. Bye. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a rating and even a review and please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? 
Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.